0: Mistakes I see writers make, so you can avoid them and make this the year you finish your novel. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you can sign up for free at savannahgilbocom forward slash training. One more time, that's gilbo.com forward slash training to get your hands on this free masterclass.
1: Voldemort has come back to power, and this means that there's going to be a great villain who is intent on destroying the world essentially, like destroying anything that doesn't follow what he wants to do. And that's what it's going to be about, whether or not he's going to succeed or not, and whether or not Harry's going to stand in the way.
0: Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. So whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And once again, I'm joined by a very special guest, Abigail Perry, who is a developmental editor and the host of an amazing podcast called Lit Match, where she helps writers find the best literary agent for their writing and publishing careers. I will link to her podcast in the show notes, as well as where you can find Abigail around the internet. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you already know the deal about these first chapter episodes, but just in case you're brand new here or in case you need a reminder, Abigail and I are taking a look at the first chapter in each of the Harry Potter books to see how Rowling hooks our attention and pulls us into the story. It's been really fun to see how she develops not only as an author from book to book, but also how these first chapters change from book to book, too. So, in today's episode, we're digging into the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And we're going to analyze it on both the macro and the micro level. So, basically, we're asking why does this chapter work, and then how does the scene or the scenes within the chapter work? So, that's a very quick overview of what we're going to dig into today. You'll hear more explanation for everything once we get into the episode. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into the conversation. Or the Phoenix is not personally my favorite of the
1: series, but I still love this one. Yeah. But I do think out of the first chapters that we've analyzed, this seems to be the strongest structurally, in my opinion, that I've read up to five.
0: And what's interesting is it's more on content genre, which I know we're going to get into later, but it's like the most literal Harry's life is threatened in this scene. So it's fun. It's different, yeah. but it's kind of you know, you always hear the advice, don't start with the prologues or the false prologues or whatever that we've been looking at. And I think besides Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban mm-hmm. start with Harry mm-hmm. and Goblet of Fire. So it would well, Goblet of Fire starts with Frank Bryce. So
1: not right, Goblet right, of right. Fire. Just Prologue with Fire.
0: Frank Bryce in book mm-hmm. four. And now we're back to Harry in book five. So it's kind of fun just seeing. I know we're going to outside Harry's perspective again in book six. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of fun to see how she plays with all that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love this opening chapter.
1: Yeah, it's great. You have written a great synopsis for us before we dive into the chapters. As in all the episodes, we are going to analyze the big picture with the seven key questions that Paula Mines recommends you use to analyze first chapters in her book, The Writer's Guide to Beginnings. And then we go in and we zero in on the scene structure which we use the Story Goods Five Commandments to analyze that. So before any of that, it's worth understanding what we're going to talk about and why it's going to help us use this analysis. What happens in the first chapter of Harry Potter in the Order of Phoenix?
0: Okay. In this chapter, we catch up with Harry, who is very desperate for news after the return of Voldemort last year. He comes back at the end of Goblet of Fire. We hear about how he's trying to watch the news with the Dursleys and how they don't let him watch their TV anymore. And then we see him having to resort to eavesdropping on the news from outside the living room window. He basically assumes or thinks that any day now he's going to be hearing something about Voldemort or the effects of something Voldemort or the Death Eaters have done. But so far, there's nothing. He hears a loud crack in the neighborhood close by, kind of like someone apparating or disapparating, and then chaos ensues dursleys run outside they get mad at harry who has his wand out and in their opinion he's the one causing the commotion then harry takes off towards the local park as he walks he thinks about how unfair it is that ron and hermione are in the thick of things he assumes that they're together at the borough having the best summer ever and he's bummed that nobody's letters this summer have told him anything worth knowing. So he's a little bit in a bad moody mood. And once he gets to the park, he hears Dudley and his gang saying goodbye to each other. He basically picks a fight with Dudley because he's in such a sour mood. So they argue. And while they're arguing, Dementors descend and they affect both boys negatively, but especially Dudley. Harry knows he is not supposed to do magic outside of school, but he has no choice. He has to use magic to defend him and Dudley against the Dementors, so he does. He casts a Patronus charm, the Dementors flee, and Miss Big arrives and helps Harry carry Dudley back home. That is it.
1: Not a lot going on in that chapter.
0: Yeah, no big deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because I didn't actually do the word count on it, but it feels like it's a longer first chapter. But everything, again, and not surprising because it's J.K. Rowling, but everything has weight to it. Everything has purpose to it. And you're entertained the whole time. And that's something that my takeaway was when I was reading this first chapter. Not surprisingly, yes, I know I'm a Harry Potter fan. So (laughs) I know that I'm already going to love these stories, but you're (laughs) to not
0: be entertained.
1: I know. That's why I think it's the main thing is. But anyway, even if you didn't like Harry Potter, I think it's hard to argue that this isn't entertaining in its way. You can tell even with how she uses backstory, even how she uses description and detail everything is purpose to creating a sense of setting and energy. And all of this can help us analyze the seven key questions to ask for your first yeah. chapter. So let's go ahead
0: and get and into those. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. It was yeah. interesting too, just the, again, we always say this, but the way the backstory was delivered, it's not an info dump. It was very engaging. And we'll talk probably more about that later, but seven key questions. The first one is, what is our genre?
1: Mm-hmm. Savannah and I have talked about on all of the first chapter episodes. If you haven't heard any of those first chapter episodes before, just as a recap, we look at the difference between what we call a content genre and a commercial genre. So a commercial genre, thinking about the sense of where would you market this in the traditional publishing world, or even, you know, if you're, if you're self-publishing on Amazon, where would you market this? And content genre, using that story grid lens of what is the story type? Like, what are we looking at? So Like all of the other Harry Potter books, the content genre is action. What I think is particularly interesting about this first chapter is that the worldview arc for Harry Potter, the character arc or the internal arc that we're looking at, is very clearly coming to play in a deep and darker way than the other books. And Rowling always does a wonderful job at giving equal weight to the internal story, the character arc is how I like to call it. And or like the psychological story, and then the action genre, which is kind of what drives plot. What are the events that are driving the plot? But you really start to see how it starts to get really complicated in a way that they fuse together in this first chapter. And I think that's really brilliant. And then commercial genre, and when we're looking at commercial genre, we're looking at young adult fantasy. So we yeah. have very clearly moved away from middle grade in Order of the Phoenix. We, we moved away from it in Goblet of the Fire. But you can see... The teenage moodiness coming into this first chapter, but very in a very justified way, right? There are bigger things that are going on for Harry than necessarily just things that happen at school, but you can still see that sense of young adult, teenage persona coming out in this first chapter.
0: Yeah. It's almost like he's taking the weight of the world on his shoulders, partially because Certain people believe him in the world, certain people don't, certain people are making Voldemort's return a big deal, others they're not. And he just feels like, you know, I'm excluded from all this and I have to hear about stuff like this on the news. No, There's no wonder why he's anxious um, or angsty. But the other thing, too, is how we think about young adult versus middle grade is the age of Harry. Mm-hmm. So how old is he in this book? Is he F- fifteen? 15? 15 in this one? Yep. 15 okay and then also we look at the tone so in the beginning few books there's a lot of humor not a lot of darkness we've definitely crossed into the darkness territory yes we get a lot of that through the backstory just Harry's mood the setting things like that the mentor showing up in little whinging so mm-hmm. yeah the sophistication
1: level of Harry is at a different level now and it's part to partly due to his awareness of the world and how the world works around him and there's no humor in this first chapter. At least like I didn't really see a sense of humor compared to those middle grade novels, which is something else that we've talked about.
0: I saw a few spots, which we might pick up later, but I had to look for them because I felt the same way that Mm -hmm. I I had to question, okay, is there anything in here or have we totally departed from that? So they're hidden. But Mm -hmm. anyway, question number two is plot. What is the story really about? And do we get a sense of what it's about in this first chapter? I think
1: this is the first chapter out of the whole series that gives the sense more than anything else. In *Gaba the Fire, we did deal with a murder with Frank Bryce. There was the sense that we're moving into the action realm, dealing heavily, heavily with crime and almost like thriller aspects as well. But in Order of the Phoenix, we're having a straight up face of life and death with the Dementors in this scene. And Harry's full entire drive and motive for the scene is trying to figure out what's going on in the Wizarding World outside of Privet Drive in Little Winging because he has received zero information and he knows that Voldemort has risen the power. He literally has nightmares every night about Cedric's death in the graveyard and Voldemort's rise, as well as mysterious hallways. Yeah. which is you know, something important that would come into the story later on. All of this is wrapped in this idea of what is the story really about? We're dealing with, Voldemort has come back to power. And this means that there's going to be a great villain who is intent on destroying the world, essentially, like destroying anything that doesn't follow what he wants to do. And that's what it's going to be about, whether or not he's going to succeed or not, and whether or not Harry's going to stand in the way.
0: Right. And something about the hallway that I wanted to point out, because I see writers that try to do something like this, it's almost like they'll give their characters a vision or a dream, and then it they don't ground it in something that solidifies it. So we know later after reading the story in the series that the reason he's having these nightmares is because he is connected to Voldemort, who yes. is looking in that hallway and trying to find the prophecy. Yes, So I love how they open this, it could be a mysterious thing. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. But then it gets grounded later and there's an actual reason. It's not just like, oh, he had a nightmare and he was imagining this thing because I needed him to for the plot. I'm so glad you
1: said that because there's so many writers that deal with dreams. And yeah. I always push back on dreams. And it's not that dreams necessarily can't work. I've seen them work before. But I think JK Rowling does the best job at giving example of when we can have. Flashbacks or dreams or whatever yeah. you're going to call it, like those kind of takeaways from the same thing that aren't in the present moment, yeah, and yeah. and it it is because there is this bigger purpose. It's interesting, Savannah, when you bring that up because as a discussion for a reader, basically, we learn in this book that there is a connection between Harry and Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Do we learn in this book specifically that what he's seeing is what Voldemort sees? No, but in future books, we will learn that basically why he sees these things is because it's what Voldemort is obsessing about. Or is that not right?
0: I can't remember because I know there's the part where he sees this Nagini attack Mr. Weasley. Right. That's in this book, right? Yep, that's And book. that's when Dumbledore kind of starts ignoring him and not... Dumbledore ignores him until that moment. And then okay. after that
1: moment, Dumbledore makes the connection and then he... Says Snape has to teach him Occlumency.
0: Right. So yeah, I don't remember when Harry learns it or when we learn it, but mm. either way, it's in this book or the next book. And I think what you're getting at is it's grounded in something. There's a reason for it. It's not just, you know, like you're saying, a lot of writers use dreams or or whatever out of convenience. Right. And then there's like nothing grounding it. So right. this is a pipe of the it was plot. An example.
1: Right. Seeing these things. Basically, what he's seeing with this hallway is the Department of Mysteries, which is where the climax of the whole entire book is going to be. It is something that Voldemort is either obsessing about or planting in Harry's mind, because eventually he's trying to lure Harry to the Department of Mysteries so that he can pick up the orb. The whole thing here is that there's great purpose to plot, but it also torments Harry psychologically. And I think that's kind of the brilliance. It's really doing double duty here, where it's more than just a dream. And it's not even really a dream, right? So it's like, it's more yeah. than just a dream. The graveyard scenes are dreams, but he actually just talks about them. And it goes back to the Goblet of Fire and why it's that in disguise because yes, like chapter two, Harry Potter is waking up to the dream, quote unquote, but that's not really a dream either. That happened. Something interesting. It's it, It's bigger than just, oh, and now I had this dream and It made me reflect on my emotions. It has purpose to the plot.
0: Or I see dreams where the character's like, hmm, that was weird. I wonder if something's going to come of that. And it's like, okay, not that easy. easy. Right. Yeah, it's too easy. It's all out of convenience. But yeah, this is a great example of using this kind of technique. And also the scene is not about the dream. That's right. It's a throwaway thing. It's something Dudley, his dream with Cedric at least, he uses to throw back against him to create conflict, but we're not building, we're not putting his whole nightmare on the page. That's right. You know, and I see a lot of writers do that where it's like pages and pages of nightmares or dreams. Then a character wakes up and the advice is make sure they have a decision in every scene. And right. it's like, well, now am I going to go to work or am I going to stay home? You know, like we don't <laughs> yeah. want to be building scenes around the dream or the whatever in most cases. Right. So right. Good. This was a good example of how to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So question number three is point of view. What point of view are we in? Who's telling the story? We're with Harry Potter, third person
1: limited or third person close. This is really important too, because a lot of this first chapter we're getting into, and we'll talk about this more in question number four about character, but we're getting into Harry's anger. And there's a lot, we're sitting a lot with Harry and his emotions. But again, with that point of view... Yes, we're following Harry the closest. You need to see where his feelings are, but we're not info dumping about his feelings.
0: Right. And I thought it was interesting. She again did that thing where she kind of zooms out and into Harry. Mm -hmm. So the beginning, she talks about basically Privet Drive and what's going on. And then we zoom into Harry. Another thing I noticed too is that we hear snippets of the conversation between Vernon and Petunia. And some writers might think that that is like an omniscient narrator. But we're still in Harry Potter. He's in his head. He's right under that window hearing it. That's why it's allowed. I think it makes it even more interesting because we can see yeah.
1: that. I mean, there's like there's conflict with it, right? No one likes to be talked about. <laughs>
0: right. Harry oh. used to it by now, unfortunately. Right. Exactly. And it's like it's kind of like second nature to him. <laughs> that yeah. House,
1: but yeah.
0: Yeah. OK. Question number four you were kind of getting there is who do we care about the most?
1: Yeah. This is why I think this chapter is the one that I sat with the most. Because, again, I've talked about this in, in previous episodes, but for me, characters are the most important. You have to have plot, you have to have setting, you have to have characters, you have to have all of these elements of story. I just tend to, in my own personal, as a reader, perspective, I lean a little bit more towards when I can really connect with a character. And even in the opening description of Harry, it's interesting because in a first chapter, Rowling still does give some description about Harry. But the character's description, it describes him as the scrawny boy. He's wearing the baggy clothes, things that we've seen before. And I caught myself, because as a reader, as reading this, because I know Harry now, because it's book five, because I know that in the ending of book four, he witnessed a murder. And there's gonna, you're going to be a whole different person after you witness a murder. We're going to see this when, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting Savannah the Horses. What are they called? That the skeletal horses that he sees.
0: I'll get there. We'll, we'll come like, back. Yeah, we'll come back. To it. By saying that you forgot.
1: Yeah, we're now going to see those horses that are skeletons because he's witnessed the murder. We know because of the previous books, because you've been following the series, why you care about Harry so much. Like this boy has been through enough and just continues to be battered and beaten, and he's he's fifteen. He's still so young. Uh, All of this you see, and he you see he's hiding in a hedge to hear to see if he can listen to news because he feels like he's isolated from the world. And that's a big part of this. You see how the Dursleys treat him poorly. Vernon Dursley literally wraps his hands around Harry's neck when he finds him into the bush. Yes. And and I see Savannah just sent me a message. Besteros, that's, that's right. That's what they are. <laughs> Ah, oh, I couldn't remember it. Yeah, no. Just on the spot things. If I was off camera, I bet I would have gotten them in a second. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, so it's it's this idea here of like, you you see how poorly he's treated and he's sympathetic in that light. But we're at a different level here in Order the Phoenix in this first chapter. The baggy clothes and things that you see, you kind of see that in the first books. It's more, oh, he's being treated poorly by the Dursleys. And that makes you sympathetic to him. Now you see him as this boy who is tortured, by trauma. yeah, And it's making him angry. And what I think is so interesting in this first chapter is that Harry actually acts quite out of character. In Order of the Phoenix, there'll be critics who would say, oh, Harry's annoying in that book. He's so moody. We have to remember like, he's borderline possessed. There, there are right?
0: three things going on. So he witnessed the death of a friend, that's a huge deal. He's a moody teenager with hormones mm-hmm. and he's possessed by Voldemort. Right, so, like, There's a lot. What I think is so interesting is we need
1: books one, two, three, four for this moment because in five, the first chapter five, my heart just goes out to him because he's so angry yes. and he feels so isolated to the point where deep into the first chapter, he actually initiates bullying of Dudley. Right. That's what I mean when I say that Harry's out of character. Because in books one, two, three, four, we've seen Dudley bully Harry. Especially in book two, there's an interaction between Dudley and Harry specifically. And Dudley picks on him and Harry is more passive in this sense. Yeah. But in book five, he's at the playground and there's a line where he's basically hoping that they see him yeah, because he wants to unleash all of his anger on he's Dudley. Outlet. He needs his outlet. And when Dudley's friends leave, Harry actually calls out to him. That's so out of character of Harry. It reflects a little bit of what James does to Sirius in a way later in this book, which is interesting. But it's harnessed in our sympathy for him because of the traumas that he's been through. And of course, Harry will redeem himself as a character. But it's just so interesting because I was thinking to myself, if this was Harry and you hadn't known Harry before this book, You'd see him as a bad guy.
0: He'd be Mm -hmm. hard to relate
1: to. Right. You'd have a lot less sympathy regardless. You know, it's like, I think, like, yeah, I guess you wouldn't see him quite as bad guy because all the events that happen around him before that, you can understand why he's so angry. But you kind of see this moment, you think, wow, that's kind of a bit of a jerk, you know? And I think because we understand how tormented he feels, especially the line about he assumes that Hermione and Ron, wherever they are, are together. And he talks about that Sirius at least sympathizes for him and expresses yeah. his feelings of knowing how much frustration he must be having. At least someone is understanding him. is it? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to even figure out the word for it. I don't think it's quite pity, but it's one of these. I'm
0: concerned for him. You know, yeah, I'm say it's concern almost like you hope he makes it out of it. The other thing I noticed about this part is because I've been in the last couple books, we've been talking about how he's always posed as weird. We know the Dursleys don't like his magic. They're even saying his kind wouldn't be on the news and they shush each other and all that. But it's also like he's the only kid that would be interested in the news. Why is he so weird? Right. So they did a lot of fun stuff to, or she did, Rowling did a lot of stuff to set him up again. It's fun to see how that evolved. Okay, so let's go to chapter, sorry, question number five is where and when does the story take place? We know that this is in Little Winging and Privet
1: Drive. So we start in Privet Drive. We're expanding beyond the house itself when Harry wanders off more towards this playground area. There's going to be a tunnel of sorts that they encounter the Dementors in, but we're in Little Winging. And when it takes place is after Harry Potter's 15th birthday, because we do know that Hermione has sent him a letter with vague information saying, I'll see you soon. So we know it's after his birthday. We know it's, that means it's the month of August because we're not in Hogwarts yet. And we know it's also extremely, extremely hot. That can give us a sense of time, but we don't know exactly like the date in August.
0: Right. And it's cool because this is, I think the first time we don't open before his birthday. I think Goblet of Fire, were are right after it. So it's Is like, it? okay. Cause I know, cause it says
1: that we're in August, but it's like right in there. It's so I think, I think we're further in August in here. I think
0: okay. we're like, really which I, I was going to say, it's, it's even cooler that it, if, if that's true about Goblet of Fire, which I kind of remember, he's looking at all the different presents he already got. Mm-hmm. Switched to YA. And now we switch to after his birthday. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's a cool coincidence. Oh, that's interesting. But okay. So then the next one, we kind of already talked about this, is how should readers feel about what's happening? What's the emotion we should be feeling here? Yeah, I think you're
1: concerned about Harry, but I think you're excited about what's happening. And that's kind of that similar core emotion that when you have these typical action stories at the core of everything. (laughs) The core. The core emotion, the core of everything. You are having this sense of excitement and thrill because you want, to see the characters that you care about make it out alive. And this is the first chapter where literally Harry's life is in danger on the page.
0: Yeah, the stakes are higher, which makes it more exciting. Mm -hmm. Also more difficult to raise the stakes like throughout the story, which she does a
1: wonderful job at.
0: Yes. And so speaking of stakes, that's the next question is why should we care what happens? So it's life and death here. And life and death to the point that we are crossing
1: lines that the Western community does not usually cross. And what I mean by that is that the Dementors are not supposed to be in this area, so there's kind of a mystery, a secret, like why are they out? We assume it's because Baltimore. We know in Goblet of Fire, Baltimore gives a speech that he's going to recruit his Dementors and the Giants back. Basically, the Dementors here shouldn't be in this area. It's completely bizarre and out of character, but mainly, like they go to kiss Dudley, and that is like a line that is something that we would not see
0: because it just brings way too much awareness. Not only is he a muggle, but he's innocent. So right. it's like they have no filter anymore of who they should be kissing and soul-sucking and all that. Right. Those are the stakes, which is appropriate for action. We know that. Also, it's fun to think about the multiple levels because he's watching the news report to see what Voldemort's doing. So there's like bigger stakes out there, kind of like you were saying, mm-hmm. but also he picks on Bolt Bull- or a Dudley. He plays yep. him in the moment, which puts him at risk of being hurt Um, so anyway those are the seven questions i know now we're going to move into looking at the scene on a micro level so go ahead we're going to use the five commandments for that as we've talked about before savannah and
1: i always really like to first identify before we even look at the commandments what is the characters want what are they trying to do in this story so let's talk about that first savannah what do you think harry potter wants in this scene
0: So I think that Harry, he mainly just wants to know what's going on specifically about Lord Voldemort. So he's eavesdropping on the news. He's thinking about the contents of his friend's letters, trying to just figure out or grasp onto anything, which then kind of makes me want to ask you a question because I could see writers who are listening to this going, why is it that first part with the news a separate scene from the part with Dudley. Mm -hmm. Because you could break out two different goals. Like one of them is I'm watching the news to find out about Voldemort. The other one is maybe I'm leaving the house to escape the Dursleys. It's a good question. I thought a lot about
1: this question actually when I was reading it because I do think it is one scene, one chapter. First of all, I think that the main stakes in this chapter are life and death. And it actually takes quite a bit of time Between the inciting incident and the turning point, for us to see how that value shift is turning. However, I think that being in the bush, there's no inciting incident for me before the snap of the noise. So we'll talk about that in a second. But he's in the bush, and it's important for us to see his motives and what he's trying to do, and even have a little bit of time before the inciting incident with that, because it's establishing the ominous tone that is basically deep in every line of this first chapter. Why is it not a scene when he's listening to the news? I think, again, this kind of goes back to our discussions about a beat versus a scene. And a beat has a change in behavior or a change in tactic. And a scene has a change in value. It's interesting because like, we brought up the news a couple times in the series now. The first one was in Prisoner of Azkaban where we talked about Sirius. And now it's Harry Potter trying to listen for the news. So it's interesting because we've had a setup there in that sense of, before Sirius was on the news. So it was big enough that he was being on the Michael News and how nothing uh-huh. is on Voldemort. So basically what this is creating is the sense of Harry being like, why has nothing happened? So I don't think it's a, a scene because it's really, that is the basis of all of that. Nothing happens. Versus if you look at the whole first chapter, we can see how everything is centered around a life or death confrontation with the mentors where very very much something does happen.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because I got to thinking about this when I was planning what I was going to say for what is his goal. I realized that it's he is really trying to figure out in multiple ways what's going on. So part of it is the news, but when he can't do that, how does his tactic change? Yes, He leaves and he mulls over what he knows from his friend's letters and what he's heard, he thinks about it. So he's still trying to do that one thing. Yeah, so that's how I would get about it. Yeah, that's great and
1: a much shorter answer than mine.
0: <laughs> but that
1: idea. Okay. The the other thing I wanted to say was something that made me very interested in this first chapter is I can see almost the five commandments for the internal arc and five yeah. commandments for the external arc, and I think that a lot of the scene with him watching the news grounds us in that internal arc, that psychological stuff that's going on. State of mind. That as you go further in the scene, and I see this in plots when I coach writers, I always talk about outlines. I like to see how the closer you get towards a climax, Mm -hmm. the tighter internal and external weave together. Because to me, internal can't change without external things happening. And external shifts personally to me are boring if it doesn't change the character. Yes, there are life and death stakes but our reader will not care about life or death stakes if we don't care about the character who might die. We're getting the groundings in that opening of what's going on with him psychologically. And that shift starts to become extra more complicated as he moves into the confrontation with Dudley. It's working as complications that are leaning towards a turning point in this scene. But so much of it deals with his issues with character, with internal stuff going on. You can kind of play out of Five Commandments there but on a beat level, right? A change in behavior versus a beat level, a change in value.
0: There's actually not to get too deep in the weeds of the beat, but in that first part with the news, there's a part where he says, or Vernon says to him, I know that you're having owls deliver stuff to your bedroom in the morning. Isn't that how you get the news? And Harry's like, I can't lie to him because what's the point right now? So that's kind of like a little beat crisis is do I tell the truth that no, those are letters from my friends not the news. He tells the truth. But yeah, so it's interesting. I think that's part of what makes this feel like it's moving is that we do have solid beats that bump into each other to make a
1: scene. Yep. That's the same thing of when he meets Dudley. There's kind of a crisis of Dudley doesn't see him. Is he But he's
0: really angry? Does he bully Dudley or does he leave him alone? So let's talk about the inciting incident because you were saying that you thought it was the apparition. I do. Right. Yes. Yeah. I thought that. And then what I wrote down was when he sees Dudley and his gang arrive at the park. But I could could see either one being totally fine. Interesting. Yeah. I can go first telling you why I picked that one. But I thought it's because the apparition is conflict that appears it's unexpected. Right. And it does tie to Miss Fig at the end of the scene because that's her. Right. Well, the apparition. No, because she can't apparate because she is a squid. Oh, she's a squib. So who is operating? We don't know. I, I feel like we find out, but I don't know the answer to that. Anyway, it's probably in the book. We'll have to look that up after. But when I started going through the commandments, I'm like, well, what is this? What are the commandments really about? And it kind of centers around should Harry use his magic? Yes. To defend himself. Yes. And I don't, I don't know if that's. I guess depends who's operating because I was going to say I don't know if it matters. Are they good or bad? Right.
1: Savannah and I talked about this in in previous episodes. And remember that this is a Socratic learning method that we use this analysis, meaning that the way that I see something might not be the way that exactly Savannah sees it, but can we get to the same conclusion? And ultimately, like, that's the idea here. It's very, very unlikely that your readers are ever going to analyze your stories on the level that we are analyzing them. (laughs) However, if you can analyze them with intention and learn more how to read like a writer, in this way. And there are other ways to analyze stories. This isn't the only way to do this. If someone ever tells you this is the only way that it can be done, that's bad advice in my opinion. But this is a way that has helped me defend why I think a scene is purposeful or a scene that works. For me, what gives a scene purpose? What makes a scene work? I look at, does it advance the plot and does it develop character? Those are the two big things that I look for because that means we're having change and we're going forward with the story. Right. So personally, The way that My Five Commandments might play out might be different than the way Savannah's might play out. However, can we get to the same conclusion? Can we get to the same idea of this is about life and death and this is how that plays out?
0: you all see, spoiler alert, we do get to the same conclusion. Yeah. And we'll go into that later, but I just looked it up. So it's actually Mundungus Fletcher. Oh, it is Mundungus Fletcher. Fletcher. He should be watching Harry because that's part of his job in the Order, but Mm -hmm. he leaves to go complete a shady deal.
1: Oh, yes. And that's why last line is, I'm going to kill dunga McG- 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 McG-
0: Sletcher. That's right. Yeah, Which yeah. I didn't connect until right now either. So does that change our opinion? The reason why I picked apparition is because I think that the
1: noise is what moves Harry from watching the news and just going back to his bedroom and going for a walk. And I think that when we look at inciting incidents, we're looking for a causal or coincidental disturbance, an unexpected disturbance, either a character causes it or a coincidence causes it that basically either establishes a character's goal for the scene or changes their approach to achieving their goal i guess it goes back to that goal right because harry's goal on the scene is find out news about find out something. something yeah right. and i think that he has been unsuccessful figuring out what's going on with the news right so when the pop happens. That sounds like gunshots that Vernon Dursley rubs off as a car backfiring to neighbors yeah. that Harry Potter says that sounds like an apparition. It sounds like what Dobby did when he yeah. popped in and out. That is saying something is off. Something is magical happening here. So basically he kind of goes off to investigate it. Now he gets sidetracked, in my opinion, with Dudley. Yeah, And it's important that he gets sidetracked with Dudley because that's going to impact the stakes and the life and death scale of how they go forward. But for me, it's that idea of uh, ultimately it's going to deal with does Harry use magic or not to fight the Dementors. And that is referenced multiple times up leading to the Dementors about how he knows that he can't use magic. The family knows that he can't use magic. It's basically the root of the bullying between Dudley and Harry. Is he going to use magic or not magic? When the character apparates, it's what draws him away from the house. And that to me is what kind of created that disturbance of let me go figure out what this is, which then started to move the life or death stakes. Because if he is at the Dursleys, really nothing can happen to him.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I'm trying to read the exact text because I took it a little different where he gets in the fight with the Dursleys and he almost is so angry that he doesn't know what to do. So he leaves. Yeah. And then he's like thinking about kind of all that same stuff, like who was here? Are they following me? Why haven't they approached me? And he's just kind of leaving to go to the park. I'm trying to look and see if it says somewhere in the text, but I'm not finding it right now. Either way, I know we're about to get to the same moment. So I see your point totally. I'm thinking if I should argue the deadly part for fun. You should.
1: It's interesting, Savannah, because not that like books and films are different, but the the opening scene of the film cuts out the whole entire part that I just argued. And stuck with the... Meeting Dudley on the playground. So go or the at the park. Right. So go ahead. Talk and about
0: that. another thing I always think about too is what's the chapter title? Because in most cases for these analyses, we've all, and it's it's Demented Dudley. I think yes. So yes. most of the analysis we've done, it's always the seems like the chapter title relates to the main point. Mm. So that was just another thing I was looking at. But I thought, okay, actually, let's go ahead and then I'll go back to the the inciting incident because it relates. We both agree that whatever it's the the turning point which is the moment that changes things changes the values forces a crisis decision is the dementors are in little whinging yes so the crisis then becomes should harry use magic to deal with the dementors even though he's not technically allowed to right Mm -hmm. we agree on that Mm -hmm. and then the climax is he casts a patronus charm the resolution is the Patronus saves them and fights off the Dementors. And then Harry successfully gets Dudley home with Mrs. Fig's help. Mm-hmm. So, are, are we on the same page with that part? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. but let's go back to the turning point yeah. because I think that
1: this turning point So, remember that a turning point is an action or a revelation that forces a character into a crisis decision. And I want to expand the discussion a little bit about, about the climax because I had some questions for you. We know the crisis. It's a best bad choice dealing with the idea of do i use magic and risk expulsion or do, do i die maybe even a fate worse than death where it's a dementor's kiss we know it's the decision with the turning point then the stars go out
0: it freaks harry out because what can do that suddenly thinks it's him yeah, yeah. and i have this page open so i'm just going to read snippets of how yep, and- yep. Yep. So Dudley insults him with Cedric, and it says, Harry's pointing the wand directly at Dudley's heart. Harry could feel 14 years of hatred of Dudley pounding in his veins. What he wouldn't give to strike now to jinx Dudley so thoroughly, he'd have to crawl home like an insect. Struck dumb, sprouting feelers. Then it cuts off. There's some conversation. Dudley's kind of saying, don't point that at me. And then he he does this loud gasp like you said something happens the star-strewn indigo sky was suddenly pitch black the balmy evening was suddenly piercing bitingly cold for a split second harry thought he had done magic without meaning to despite the fact that he'd been resisting as hard as he could then reason caught up with his senses he didn't have the power to turn off the stars He turned his head this way and that, trying to see. Dudley's terrified voice comes in. He's like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Harry stood stock still, turning his sightless eyes left and right. The cold was so intense that he was shivering all over. Goosebumps had erupted on his arms, and the hair on the back of his neck was standing up. He Mm -hmm. opened his eyes to their fullest. Staring blankly around, unseeing. It was impossible. They couldn't be here. Not in Little whinging. He strained his ears. So I think at that moment, it's like the Dementor revelation. Are here. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's like an action that caused the
1: revelation. So that that's right. so interesting because I was looking at this and like, we know it's about the Dementors. The turning point is basically the Dementors have arrived. Yeah. Like if you were to, if you were to generalize it, it's the Dementors have arrived, and then right. it's the idea of like, is there a moment that could be considered? a turning point that causes a crisis, or can it be generalized in the grander scheme of things? That's something I found interesting for this chapter because ultimately, if the dementors don't arrive, there is no crisis. However, and maybe this is just an argument of how to understand how to raise stakes, the lines that I had pulled out for consideration, if you were to pick a turning point that was a little bit more specific within the dementors arriving, I had the line that you just read about the stars going out something had happened, the star-strewn indigo sky was suddenly pitch black and lightless. I had that. So there's that, which basically says, hi, the dementors are here. Then there's the line that's the confirmation. A towering hooded figure was gliding smoothly toward him, hovering over the ground, no feet or face visible beneath its robe, sucking on the night as it came. There's also the line that you just said, it couldn't be. He has that revelation.
0: There's that. Right. There's another one I just saw too. It says, but he fell silent. He had heard just the thing he had been dreading. To me, Mm -hmm. that's when it's like, Mm -hmm.
1: it's the Dementor. And then there's the one last thing that made me think about, (laughs) because if the crisis is about, do I use magic or not? There's one moment right before he's scrambling on the ground. I I He's scrambling on the ground. He actually, because he's got the main spelling he's going to use in the scene is a specter patronum. Hooray, we always love that one, right? But the first spell he actually uses is Lumos. And I don't know. I mean, I think any magic is considered expulsion worthy, right? So I don't know if that would be. It's obviously not a spell against someone, but that is magic. So the first spell he uses is Lumos. And it's because he can't find his wand. And I'm just flipping to the page real quick before I say this out loud. Basically, Harry can't see Dudley. He knows that Dudley has probably run right towards the Dementor. They can't see anything anymore. And Harry says, Dudley, keep your mouth shut. Whatever you do, keep your mouth shut. Wand. Harry muttered frantically, his hands flying over the ground like spiders. Where's wand? Come on. Lumos. What's interesting is because he can't find his wand, that's actually the moment that leads him to using magic without even really considering it anymore. In general, I think that's probably like a progressive complication after a turning point because the turning point to me is like, the Dementors are here.
0: It's what you said. It's it's well, the recognition. Yeah, and now actually I'm reading along with you and he says the Lumos spell automatically. He shines the light right in front of him and then his stomach turns over because a towering hooded figure was gliding smoothly towards him. And I think it's in that moment, maybe that's what I would pick as the specific moment where it's like he has to use more than just a light spell. That's right. You know, Because in theory... He doesn't probably believe this, but in theory, the Dementors could glide over them and leave. Mm-hmm. But when it's coming at them and Dudley's being an idiot, he has to do something major. There's a big element here yeah.
1: with Harry has a responsibility with Dudley. It raises the stakes in an extreme way in this scene. Right. Because if this were just Harry... I mean, it's Harry. He always is going to fight them. There's a whole nother layer of danger here because Dudley is completely helpless, which means that Harry can't just fight for himself. He needs to make sure that they both get out of here.
0: Yeah. There's this other part too, where when the Dementors is kind of closing in on him and he's got his fingers around his throat, he's hearing Voldemort basically yeah. from the graveyard. He thinks about how he's never going to see Ron and Hermione again. And then their faces burst clearly into his mind. So you could almost look at that, too, as a turning point where he goes from not succeeding or not safe to having that gusto to do it. But either way, we're all saying the turning point is the Dementors arriving. And right however long we want to spread this turning point out, it doesn't matter. What matters is the turning points have come. Harry has to either use magic or not. If he doesn't, fate works and death right there which that leads you to climax
1: right now the reason why i wanted to talk about climax a little bit today is because climax is usually what i say is climax is harry acting on the crisis yeah so it can be quick it can be like okay the decision is made here let's say the decision is made when he uses lumos in the next vector patronum like that's the decision but in order the phoenix we have kind of this grand climax like it's it's the fight against the yeah. Dementors, right so do you think that in this case the climax could be a little bit lengthier than he uses magic or do you think that he uses magic expands upon the whole confrontation with the dementors does that make sense do you know what I'm-
0: yeah so i mean it's funny because we're always on the hunt for the most specific answer and We keep trying to find these, and then we end up with the same general conclusion. Part of me is like, I don't know if it matters, because we're saying the climax is he uses the magic however many times he's going to use it, and then the resolution is they're safe. The turning point also, like you said before, I think, shows him that the Dementors are out of control. This is very weird. So he's they're safe. They're also informed of a bigger Issue. issue. Or Harry is at least. It's a good question because if we were coaching a writer on this scene, we would probably want to know what is the moment of the climax. Let's, because we both liked that sentence that said a towering hooded figure was gliding smoothly toward him. And the thing about, so using Lumos, it doesn't have any fighting ability, it's just to see. Right. So, I'm going to say my answer is the towering hooded figure was gliding towards him. So it's now attacking or coming to attack him. The crisis is what do I do? And the climax is the first expecto patronum. Yes. That's my yeah. final answer yeah. today.
1: I think that climax as expecto patronum is much more interesting than Lumos. Yes. But yeah. Lumos, that's what I was saying. Like, Lumos works as a complication leading to the climax. It was an interesting way to raise the stakes before the big action.
0: Just so everybody knows, there's literally a paragraph and one sentence in between these two moments. That's right. So this is why we sometimes spiral or we overthink things because we're like, but, and don't do that if you're doing this to yourself. It really doesn't matter because we came to the same conclusion.
1: Right. But, oh,
0: go ahead. No, I was going to move to the inciting incidents. Oh, I just want to say
1: one thing about the climax. So I will say we need more of a description of this climax. It doesn't mean you need pages. We need more than one paragraph in this climax. The pace is quick when you get in action scenes, the sentences will be shorter. There's a, a trick, I forget where I read it now years ago, but I use it all the time on that. I think it was James Capell probably.
0: Probably. One I,
1: of I love, I love <laughs> it, right? I think it was one of those things where he said, psychologically speaking, when you think about it, when you're writing with pace, the shorter sentences, even as a reader, even though you're not reading it out loud, you start to hold your breath because if you were to yeah. have shorter sentences and when you hold your breath, your heart rate goes up. If you're writing an action scene, you might need to just write out more and be able to take out half of it, probably. But ultimately, we need to see more than just one spell, and that's that's the end of it. We've won. The description within this action is Harry fights off his, but then Dudley is there, like the Dementor the is inches away from Dudley, and there's this beautiful description of his stag coming down and kicking it with its antlers, and just yeah. so visually wonderful. But,
0: you know, it's interesting because I wonder if we could argue is is everything after Expecto Patronum.
1: Resolution. The resolution. That's my question. Yeah,
0: I'm going to say yes, just to make it clear and easy. We'll say expecto patronum because the question is, should I use magic to fight them? Right. Using the lumo spell was just illuminating the way. He's already in trouble. Should I take it a step farther and engage with the dementors? I'm going to say that's the climax, and then everything else is the resolution. But again, it doesn't really matter because we got to the same conclusion on all of this. And I accept the say- exciting incident. Because if I think about the apparition, it doesn't necessarily connect to this if it's Mundungus Fletcher, which at at the time I was doing my analysis, I thought it was Mrs. Fig, so my brain was kind of in the same spot. But Dudley and them lingering to argue in the park, I think it takes Harry out of the I need to figure out what's going on and it centers his focus somewhere else, which is now he's going to take his. He's not literally thinking this, but he is acting as if he's taking things out on Dudley, which causes them to linger in the park, which causes the Dementors to find them. So that's how I was thinking, but I don't think it's wrong to say the apparition. It is so, the first magical surprise, right? So one
1: more, one more time for listeners, you would say the inciting incident is.
0: Dudley and his gang they're kind of not arriving they're passing by where Harry can see and hear them he gets seeing Dudley that is unexpected because he thinks he's at Pierce Polkis's house Um, and it's the thing like let's just pretend that Mrs. Fig was walking by it's not going to change the trajectory of his goal that's true necessarily unless she's like hey come play with my cats you know right right but Dudley is his next biggest trigger right and then all the thoughts of like what's Voldemort doing they go out of his head this is so interesting because, like, if you were to say that
1: that was the incident, because I agree with you, I think that it had to be a character that he wanted to basically <laughs> re- to interact, interact with. To the point, like, there's a line where Dudley actually doesn't see him and is going to go on with mm-hmm. his evening, and Harry's the one who's like, no, we're going to get into it. If you were to do that, where would the apparating, Mundungus Fletcher apparating, where would that fall? What would happen with that? Because you think that he would have walked away from the house just because he was mad at Vernon and Bertunia. That's what basically, okay. And that's where I had seen it differently because I had seen it that he walked away because of the apparating. So I think that that would be it, right? That would be the difference. Is he walking away regardless? Or in the same situation with Dudley, is he going home regardless? Basically, what's the unexpected disturbance that keeps him in the range of danger,
0: right? Right. So it's really, what, however you interpret it, I don't think there's a wrong way of just talking to readers out there, listeners, because what we're saying, either way we got to the same conclusion, something, whether it's the apparition or Dudley, pulls him out of that thought process of obsessing over the news and all that, right? And mm-hmm. then the Dementors are really the main point. It's what brings the danger, to little whinging. It actually tells him something concrete even though he doesn't really understand what it means, it's telling him there's something bigger afoot, which yeah. is not on the news. But I now know something that maybe other people don't. Do so- you think that if you took out
1: the Mundungus Fletcher operating, just curious, just corporate powers? Yeah. Do you think if you took that out, you would need everything that is written before it, or do you think you could take all of that now and basically just show us how angry he is during his walk?
0: I think because to me, let me go back up and read this part because I really see it as he's so upset with the Dursleys mm-hmm. that he storms off. Let me find this. Okay. And the reason why
1: I say this is just because I don't have anything written on the page, right? So I don't know this for sure, but I find it really interesting to understand to study like why a movie changes things in a way that a book doesn't.
0: Yeah. And they take out that whole scene. Important thing that you said earlier was we need this setup to care. Right. And in the movie, we do kind of see Hemi's... The big difference
1: between the book and the film is that Harry does not bully Dudley. Dudley bullies Harry. Right. So there's a big change there because basically Harry's character, it's out of character for Harry to basically try to go after Dudley. And in the movie, they're consistent with Dudley just being the jerk and bullying harry and harry's responding to that so yeah. i just found that a really interesting change and i hope i'm remembering it correctly but you I, are
0: I, yeah. I, th- I think and i remember i i actually remember this as a feeling because when i'm watching the opening of that movie it is so much darker quieter and like you can just tell so it's almost like they're setting up the atmosphere with the visuals they instead are. of him out the window so the dursleys vernon says we're not stupid you know harry says well that's news to me his temper Mm -hmm. rising before the dursleys could call him back he had wheeled about crossing the front lawn stepped over the low garden wall and was striding up the street Mm -hmm. he was in trouble now and he knew it he would have to face them blah 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 harry was sure that the cracking noise had been made by someone operating or disapparating was it possible that dobby was here in privet drive could dobby be following him right this very moment As this thought occurred, he wheeled around and stared back at Privet Drive, but it appeared to be completely deserted again. He walked on, hardly aware of the route he was taking, for he had pounded these streets so often lately, his feet carried him to his favorite haunts automatically. Mm -hmm. Every few steps, he glanced back over his shoulder. So it's to me, I read that as he's not like actively seeking out something. It's like Mm -hmm. he's just kind of feeling like, this is weird, someone might be following me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's where it's like, I see it as...
1: He's basically searching for it, but it's up to the reader. I think that's the whole thing. Like, it's a subjective yeah. perspective. I see your argument, too, though. Like,
0: basically, yeah, and I, I would be yours. I would be happy either way, you know? Yeah, so. Which is funny because, again, this is always our point. Like, it really doesn't matter what we put down necessarily. The point is we got to the same point.
1: <laughs> what I do think matters is that when you're writing your own work, that you would be able to defend the purpose of keeping everything. So basically, like, Savannah asked the the great question, and I had answered about why that whole beginning is needed is because it grounds us in character, in setting. But the whole idea here is I don't think the chapter works as well without that content. And in the sentences with the description, creating the tone, all of these things, it's doing that. Yeah.
0: The question for you is, let's say that Harry was in the rose bushes or the begonias, whatever, and let's say he knocked over a shovel, mm-hmm. which caused the Dursleys to come out because they heard that noise. I would argue that you could get rid of the potential apparating, because ha- what it's doing is it's causing the Dursleys to come outside. That's the point of it. Mm-hmm. But Rowling actually is smart because she knows she's going to need that later to set up Mundungus and... Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that I see it. Okay. So that's this is it's a really interesting hypothetical
1: that you just proposed because the idea here is I don't think that's as effective, but it still is going to be him moving. And the reason it's not as effective is because Mandungas Fletcher is a sketchy character, it causes some mystery and secrets. Like the whole thing in first chapters, you want to have some sort of like secret or mystery. Right. With the apparating, we have the question when the Dementors arrive unseen. Why are the Dementors out? But as a reader, we also understand that Voldemort's at large. The operating kind, kind of, of assumption. way more interesting. Right. It's way more interesting. It's like, wait a second, who was it? Why were they there? Like it would cost you just as someone who is on the yeah. on the edge of waiting for something bad to happen to be on the alert right. a little bit more. So,
0: and this, more this is actually interesting because we both work with fantasy and sci-fi a lot. And something like a shovel might be what you come up with for your first draft. Yes that's totally fine because the cause, what you're really doing is you want the effect of that cause. So no matter what we put in its place, it gets the Dursleys outside. Now, if you're coming back on your third draft, you might have an editor or you might think like, what else later in the story could I use here? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pretend that that's what JK Rowling did is that maybe she had something else. And then she was like, you know what, why couldn't this be Mundungus? Because part of the story is, showing how sketchy and unreliable he is writers are always like how did she think of all this stuff and i'm like well she didn't probably write it linearly you know she might have had something like a shovel or something that fell off the windowsill that got the dursleys out and that got them to fight with harry that got him to leave the house that Mm -hmm. got him to the the Mm -hmm. dementors yep you know but then later she, she may have gone in and changed it so that it's more interesting cohesive definitely and that's where I think two big things happen
1: before we start to deal with Dudley and, yeah. and the Dementors that are brought up consistently. And it's the idea of, I can't use magic. If I, if I use magic again, I've already been, gotten a strike with this. If I use it again, I'm expelled, right? And the other thing is that Miss Fig is brought up. And she's mentioned very early when he's hiding in the begonias. And he's basically yeah. saying that she's wanted to spend more time with him. Again, we only mention characters if they
0: have purpose. Right. Right. If they're on, in the that could have been way. any other neighbor. And it, maybe it was in one draft. Right? right. But then when you're coming back through, you don't want to have random people. You want them to all serve a purpose. And what better way to set up something later?
1: Right. And then so, when she reveals herself as someone who knows magic at the end, keep out your wand, idiot boy. Yeah. The whole thing is that it creates really good bookends for the first chapter because there are parts. In this, where Rowling is not going to give you answers to everything with everything she plants in the first chapter, which makes you excited to learn. There's setups that help are paid off later in the story. And yep. there are also setups that are paid off in the first chapter. Right. So regardless, and, whenever you plant setups, you have to pay them off, but it's just a matter of timing and when you decide to do that and how it affects the plot and the character development.
0: Yeah. And a big difference between we'll say amateur drafts and a draft like this is that again, the scene is not around the mystery. There are little seeds that are planted to create curiosity and intrigue, but we're not, it doesn't matter that we're leaving those hanging because we pay off a different setup that is the main point of the scene. Mm -hmm. So, Mm because I see a lot of drafts where it would be like, who operated in the bushes? And this is the main thing. And then we don't get an answer. And it's like, well, you didn't write a complete scene, you know? Yep, exactly.
1: Anyway, Were there any other notes that you picked up on, Savannah, that you wanted to talk about?
0: Not necessarily. We talked about a few already that I had written down. I did. Okay. One thing, I did like the tiebacks to Dobby in a very organic Mm -hmm. way. Like Dobby operated. it sounded like this. It wasn't like, remember that one time this house self was on my bed. We really touched on almost every book Mm -hmm. I feel like in this summary. So I really like how you're starting to see it bringing in those young adult
1: tones and seeing relationships yeah. between peers. I really like how she brings in this subtly. Like it's, we're going to get into this, of course, much deeper on a personal level when we get to school, but yeah. And the subtle notions of feeling on the outs in the Harry, Hermione, Ron triangle, and then serious. And it's really important. We know that Harry has this, this, you know, trusting parental relationship with Sirius but seeing that in the beginning about ultimately like right away she uses Ron and their responses and letters and inability to share information because they're following orders as a way of causing even more frustration actually for Harry but then feeling companionship and connection to Sirius because even though he can't share information he expresses Mm -hmm. frustration and of course the Order of the Phoenix Harry's fear about the greatest victim will be serious this is a book that very deeply deeply explores this relationship that we care about but also is kind of messed up in its own way in the sense of like right. how serious like there's com- there's can com- there's complex discussions about serious and how he views harry and is he being more the parental guide Is he seeing him as like james is you know yeah and there's always- of what's to come Right. And it's like my point of saying this is that there's genuine compassion for each other and genuine connection. And regardless of if there are flaws in their relationship or not, these two people are isolated in this world and can understand each other because of their losses and because of their experiences. And you see that with two lines in this first chapter.
0: And the other thing I like that you said, they're not allowed to communicate with Harry. So that's it's a really subtle preview of the Order of the Phoenix, which is what mm-hmm. the book is about. We don't really know that until we read the whole book, but the reason they're not allowed is because they're with the Order at their headquarters, right? right. And they're not allowed to communicate with Harry for reasons that the Order has come up with. Yep. And I like oh. that
1: hint that Hermione and Ron are together, but they're not at the yeah. Burrow. Harry thinks they're at the yeah. Burrow, but they're at the order, so...
0: Yes. So very cool. I loved, this was a good first chapter. Mm -hmm.
1: A lot of really exciting things heading into a very dark, complex, engaging, and moving story. Sad. Very sad. The story is sad. And then I feel like it just gets darker and sadder. I don't know. This one is very clearly starting to be about death. You know, we talked about that before about how Rowling, one of her inspirations was death like she was writing this she had depression after her mother died i believe so it deals with death and savannah you and i have on a different conversation have talked about when we were reading this that was something that you connected to that i connected to like this exploration of grief and death and like
0: how it sticks with you right well I told you before, a long time ago, we talked about this book. When this book came out, I had just lost my best friend who passed away. And so when I read this and I saw that Harry was dealing with it, I didn't have the kind of parents that knew how to talk to me about losing my best friend. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of lessons and a lot of, you know, guidance. And I felt like I was very connected to Harry because he lost Sirius, you know. So Mm -hmm. this book will always hold a special place in my heart. Not that they all don't, but... I really remember the vibes of reading this and being like, whoa, I'm not by myself.
1: All the more reason why it's so important, again, that even if your concentration is action, if you're writing a fantasy story that is action-based or any type of commercial genre that's action-based, yes, of course, the plot is going to turn on those life and death scales. But if you forget to explore how life and death impacts characters on a psychological level yeah. and how that you can make your way through
0: death and life as well then I think you'll lose. Missed opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, On that note, that's a perfect ending, Abigail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Well, but thank
1: you so much, Savannah, as this is, of course, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, our first chapter yeah. analysis. We will be moving on to Savannah's favorite book, Harry Potter and the yep. Half-Blood Print. Yep. in our next My episode. Favorite. Yeah. And we hope that you'll join us there. And if you have any opinions about your breakdown of the five commandments or the seven key questions, we'd love to hear them.
0: So that's it for today's show. As always, I want to thank you so much for tuning in and showing your support. If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them over at savannahgilbo.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show because there's going to be another brand new episode coming out next week. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review. Your ratings and reviews tell iTunes that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, that helps this show get in front of more fiction writers just like you. So that's it for today's show. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, happy writing.